Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. As we bring all glory and laud and honor to the King, we come before Him knowing He is holy and that we are not. So we come and read God's word and uh, have God call us to confess our sins before Him. Ephesians 4, verse 25 and following this morning. Hear God's word. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Thus far the reading of God's word. It seems like scripture in this passage and others uh, links our work and our words. Uh, the Proverbs mention this sometimes as well, where words are many, sin is not absent. If we are lazy and idle, uh, our m- words multiply to falsehood and to corruption. If we work diligently and stick to our responsibilities, there's less chance of bitterness and clamor. Not that work itself makes us holy. Plenty of unbelievers work hard to no progress in their souls. But the fruit of the Spirit comes in clusters. Honest work in the Lord will often be accompanied by kindness and a forgiving spirit. On the other hand, stealing from an employer often goes along with malice and anger and lies. When we remember how much we have been forgiven by God... Our speech and our work and our kindness will conform to God's word. But we often forget that we have received grace from God and we lapse into selfishness with our time and with our work and our words. So let's confess our sins before Almighty God. Please kneel if you are able and we'll pray the prayer that's printed in the world tonight. Father, as we have been reading your word, we turn to it once again, knowing that in uh, here in this book is light. So let us see your light. Uh, Let us find life. Uh, We know that your son, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he told those who read this book often, he said that you search the scriptures for you think in them you have life. They testify of me. So Lord, let us see your son, Jesus, in these words that we are reading. Let us know him, love him more, and follow him more closely because of what we hear and read today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear God's word. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. 
You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. I'm going to start this morning with a a jolting contrast from the words we just read, Deuteronomy 6. They came to me just this morning, actually. Pink Floyd and the Wall. Remember that from 1970s or so? Musically interesting, but far from the truth. They sang, we don't need no education. Right? Proving with the double negative that they did, actually. Anyway, they went on, we don't need no thought control. Any attempt, they thought, to teach, they saw that as a power play to be resisted and rebelled against. Any education is just thought control. It's some kind of way to control people. The Bible has a much more positive view of education, though it doesn't use that word. And we're looking at uh, this theme today as part of our Reformed Basics sermon series. We've looked at God's sovereignty, at his covenant. We've looked at worship. And next we turn to Christian education. We've talked about this before. We are Reformed people. We call ourselves a Reformed church. Uh, That doesn't mean uh, Lutherans don't do Christian education, that we're not claiming that we're the only ones who do. Uh, There is a distinctly Reformed way of looking at education, though, in some senses. So we'll look at that. Christian education is a critical calling. You see the theme I have in the bulletin outline on the next page. We teach our children God's ways and his world so that they learn about him, so that they love him. This morning my structure is pretty uh, clear. I'm just going to walk through each verse, and I've got pretty much one point per verse about something that education is. So by the time we get to verse 9 in our text, we'll be just about done. And we'll wrap up right when we get done with verse 9 today. So now you know the pace, at least, at at which we'll go. So verse 4 first. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, This is in Hebrew in the Jewish religion called the Shema. Uh, The Shema, which is simply the Hebrew word for hear. So Jews often do this. They'll just title something as the first word of what, what it is. And that's what they do here. This is the core confession of Israel's faith. The core confession. Uh, for the first time, I dipped into the Jewish Talmud uh, in the last few, last few weeks. It's the multi-volume thing that it takes them seven years to read through. It's amazing. Uh, and uh, I'd never uh, dipped into it much and read just snippets here and there. So I just started at the beginning. I wanted to see what this was all about from the beginning. Well, it's, it's a series of questions. And the first question, it takes 20 or 30 pages or so for the, all the rabbis to answer. But the first question they ask is, when do we say Shema? <laughs> when do we say the Shema? Which really just means, when should I do my private devotions? When should I pray? When should I read the Bible? They call that saying Shema. Because that's how you always start. Every time you start praying to God, reading the Bible, the first thing you do is you say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Shema. This is the touchstone. 
There's nothing more basic than this to reality. God is one. God is the only God. And you can go all kinds of ways with that and, and talk about things going on in the world today. But Mother Earth is not a conscious being. God alone is the divine being. Mother Nature does not act intentionally. It's, it, it's directed by the Creator God. There is one Creator God. He is our God. This is also a corporate confession of faith. Uh, you see the, the noun pronoun "our" a, a few times. The Lord, your God, uh, excuse me. The Lord, our God. The Lord is one. It's a corporate confession of faith. Yahweh is His name. Uh, you heard me read that instead of the all capitals Lord there. The, the Hebrew there is Yahweh. So this is all, this is education because education is God centered, and it's Christ centered. Uh, Education is commanded immediately after this core confession. We see it in verse 7 explicitly. Teach these things to your children. So right after the core confession of faith, and we'll see the next verse, the greatest commandment that Jesus gives us, love God with all your heart. Right after these two most basic things in the Bible, the very next verse, teach these things to your children. Education is God-centered. God-centered. This is critical stuff. Verse 5. Loving God is the key. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving God is not just a feeling or a resolution in your heart. Loving God is going to mean trying your hardest to be good stewards of your time and your abilities to produce something of value to the world, to your neighbor in the marketplace. That takes some education to be able to do that well. That's part of loving God. Education is a labor of love. It's a loving act. You know, out there in the world today, the, the, the uh, angry atheists, we call them, they're trying to tell us that teaching our children our faith is a harmful thing. I don't know if you've heard this. You're, this, this indoctrinating them when they're too young to resist. It's a harmful thing. You shouldn't be doing that. We should let them decide for themselves what they want to believe when they're older, they tell us. Now, they only think this because they think the Bible itself is harmful, I would say. And it's often just a tactic to get us to uh, let them indoctrinate our kids into their agenda. But the exact opposite is true. Teach these things diligently to your children. Here is life and nowhere else. It's a labor of love to teach your children to read to love books, to love the book, to take them through another grammar worksheet, another science experiment, another Bible chapter. Teach these things to our, your children. And I'm focusing, the context here is teaching our kids, but this education is for ourselves as well, for all of us. Uh, we need to, be, to know what it is we want to teach our children uh, in the first place. We need to know ourselves. Uh, so uh, this is an, a labor of love for us, ourselves, loving God with all of our heart. Verse 6, education is a heart matter. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. To be in your heart. If God's word, if God's truth is not on your heart, then it won't be on your child's heart or on your friend's heart either. The point is to know what is true and beautiful and good. You need to know that. But more than that, to love those things. You need to love what's true and beautiful and good. 
were to read the words in this book, this Bible, as if its author has saved us from a fate worse than death. Because he has. We are to read the words in this book as if the author made and designed us and knows everything about us. Because he does. We're to read the words in this book as if the author gave up his only son to die to restore us to communion with him. Because he did. That means we don't read this as a mere academic exercise. This is a labor of love. It's a heart matter. These words shall be on your heart. Verse 6 six says. Verse 7. Uh, education is pervasive. Here we get to the actual command. Teach these things to your, diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. All the time. All the time. Well, getting ahead of myself there. First, realize education starts with the word. These words. This is repeated over and over, that phrase. You see it in verse 6. These words which I command you. Verse 7, teach them. That means these words. Talk of them. Talk of these words. What are these words we're talking about? Well, in the context, it's really the whole book of Deuteronomy. It's everything Moses is saying to Israel as they're going into the promised land. You can look back one chapter from Deuteronomy 6 and see the Ten Commandments are there. So you can refer it to God's will, God's law for us. And in the broader sense, we can say it means these words in this book. Everything God has said to us. These words, make them known. So education begins with God's word. Uh, these words. Uh, second, education is comprehensive. Comprehensive. Uh, in other words, uh, do this all the time. That's true. But also, uh, everything that we're doing involves education. We often limit education to the classroom. But education is far more than that. In Ephesians 6, 4, we read this, that uh, fathers and uh, mothers, too, of course, are called to raise their children, uh, to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That word nurture is paideia in the Greek. It's, it's a word that means training, a whole course of training. Like if you go to boot camp, they, they take over your life, right? Your schedule, what you do, what you eat, every, it's a whole course of training. That's the idea here, a whole culture. Uh, raise them up into, into a culture, a way of life. Not just a curriculum, as we think of an academic kind of thing. There's a whole way of life involved in living for the Lord. Education is comprehensive. Uh, talking about the Bible, in the last generation or two, there was a, a battle for the inerrancy of the Bible. And it was said uh, by some who wanted to kind of hem and haw at the authority of Scripture. They would say, look, the Bible is, author is authoritative in everything that it addresses. And the hidden assumption there was, well, there's a lot of things the Bible doesn't really talk about. Right? So that now all of a sudden you've taken away the authority of the Bible over all of life. Well, someone, I think it was Cornelius Van Til, one of the theologians of the last generation, he challenged that. And he simply repeated what they said but added to it. He said, the Bible is authoritative in all that it addresses. And it addresses everything. Fascinating way to come at it. I think that's true. Now, you have to be careful how you assert that. We know that the Bible isn't an engineering textbook. 
The point isn't to throw out all your books except the Bible, and I can do my accounting just with the Bible just fine. That's not the point. Uh, The point is, whatever we're doing, the Bible has something to say about why and how we're doing it. In Colossians 1.16, the Bible says that everything was made for Jesus, and everything holds together in Christ. Everything. Everything flows from God's word. All creation. Everything true about it. Right? What's the very first verses of the Bible? In the beginning, God created. God said, let there be light. God spoke, and there were all these animals. God spoke again, and here's a man and a woman. Everything flows from God's word. All creation. Everything in the garden. Everything that we study in science. Welding. Engineering. Teaching. Cleaning the house. Building maintenance. Doing your finances. Cooking. Whatever it is. Education is comprehensive in that sense. Uh, last half of verse 7, also just, just critical. Uh, teach these things when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. All the time. Education is always happening. It's one of these things that you're doing it whether you want to or not. Uh, similar, we talk about this too as uh, leaders, as parents in the home. You're, you're being an example whether you want to or not. Sometimes you're being a bad example, but you're always being an example. Same thing with educating your kids. When you're all in the car together and the other driver cuts you off, how you respond educates your children. You're always educating in that sense. Education is more than textbooks and worksheets. Your example is so powerful. So education is pervasive. It's comprehensive. That's verse 7. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. This one's a bit of a head-scratcher for us. It led the Jews to develop what's called phylacteries. If you've ever seen the Orthodox Jews at the Wailing Wall praying, sometimes you've seen these. They've got these little leather tiny boxes with tiny scripture texts in them, literally tied to their hands and to their forehead because of this verse called phylacteries. Now, I think the point, I think they're a little misguided in that. The point isn't the physical action. The point is the personal commitment to the word of God, right? Have, have the word of God on your, between your eyes, on your forehead, and on your hands. What does that mean? Why, why there? Probably to remind us that everything we see with our eyes, everything we know with our minds, everything we do with our hands should be done through the lens of Scripture, with Scripture closely referenced, tied on to what we're doing and seeing. Right? John Calvin, he once compared the Bible to eyeglasses. It's a great comparison. We should see everything through the Bible's truth. Every, eyeglasses, when you have the glasses on, you see everything, you look at everything through them. That's the whole point. That, that's what we want to do. Keep your Bible glasses on, When you read the news, when you go to work, when you go to the store, bind them on your eyes, on your hands, on your heart. That's the idea. And what this means is that education isn't just for the mind. It should lead us to do the right thing with our hands, serving our community, serving at Love, Inc., for example. Learning what is true and beautiful and good, that leads us to speak what is true and and to make what is beautiful and to do what is good. 
So really, this verse 8, it's a call for personal commitment to the truth. If you learn these things, kids, as you're learning these words, as you're learning what your parents are teaching you, you're called to bind them yourselves on your own hands, on your own minds, on your own hearts. This is very different, by the way, from the world's view of education. If you think of how people see education today, you hear the phrase sometimes, knowledge is power, right? For many people, education is simply a tool uh, to gain more leverage, to gain more uh, career ambition, to gain more access to the market, whatever it may be. And there's, there's some uh, pragmatic truth to that. But they see education maybe also as the silver bullet that's going to solve society's problems. This is a very different view from what the Bible is teaching. The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So when, when we are educated, when we learn these things in God's word, or when we simply learn about the world around us, right understanding is going to change ourselves first. It's going to change ourselves first as we bind these truths on our hands and on our, uh, by our eyes, on our minds, in our hearts. So it's a call for personal commitment to the truth. Personal commitment to the truth. And then, when, when that right understanding changes ourselves first, then, verse 9, we move on, and we write them on the doorposts of our house and on our gates. And here, this is an act of witness to the world. Uh, we make our commitment public for our family, doorposts. When we teach our children the truth in this book, uh, when they love it, when they're loyal to it, we're turning out a very different kind of person than our culture today is looking for. And that raises some fears and some questions, because we're raising our children uh, according to a very different worldview than is out there, one that's becoming more and more hostile in our day. We don't want woke students. We want wise students. And that's a very different thing. So we need to commit uh, to uh, loyalty to God's word, even when that gets us in trouble with people around us. And that means there's going to be opportunities for witness, uh, for mission, for us to talk about why we think differently than others do. That, that needs to be a, a commitment that's public. Uh, families together, uh, first of all, I think there's two things being said here. Doorposts of your house, gates is a separate thing. So there's a commitment as a family we need to make uh, to, to live a certain way. And then on your gates, I've often seen this as simply another extension of the, the family house. I, I think it's different than that. I hadn't noticed this before uh, this week, I think, uh, that gates uh, probably does not mean your house gate. It doesn't mean the courtyard thing, you know, 50 feet out further. The, the word is the normal word for city gates, uh, where legal business is done. You saw that in the, in the book of Ruth, at the end of Ruth, when Boaz goes to marry Ruth. Where does he go? He goes to the city gate, and he waits for ten witnesses to come. And once he's got ten, he's got a legal requirement, a quorum, that he can now conduct business. And he buys land, and along with that, he's going to marry Ruth. That's all done at the city gate. It's like going to the, the county courthouse to get the title deed, that kind of thing. Uh, the, so the, the gates here means write these words on your gates. 
Now that raises all kinds of political questions, right? I'm not going to delve into all of that today. But the Bible is telling us, write these words on your courthouse, on your Congress, on your Supreme Court. And our founders, in their wisdom, actually did that. On the Supreme Court, on the frieze above one of the main doors, is Moses with the Ten Commandments. He's right there for all to see. So, never mind Pink Floyd. We do need education. Read your Bibles and treasure them. Read books and learn and delight more in God's world. Christian education is a critical calling. We teach our children God's ways and his world so they learn about him, so they love him. There's much more that could be said. This is a basics theory uh, series that I've said before, so we're going to uh, call it there, but it should lead to further questions. How uh, do we educate ourselves? Uh, what kind of plan can we follow? What books are good to read? Uh, do we read books? Uh, how are we reading our Bibles and leading our family to read theirs? How are we learning about what the Bible says in a systematic way? Uh, there's much uh, work to do. So let us go to God in prayer and ask his help. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have called us to know you and to love you as we know you. Forgive us, Lord, for being slack in this and help us to restore ourselves, our minds to you. Thank you for calling us to the renewing of our minds. We pray, Lord, that as we consider being discipled, uh, that you would uh, bring people into our lives who can disciple us, give us the humility to learn from others, and to uh, read from uh, the forefathers in the faith in what they have read, most of all to read in your word what you are telling us. Thank you for all that we have to learn. Uh, we often sing and read scripture in our worship services. Uh, that sometimes go over our heads, but that need study. Uh, show us those things, Lord. Things about your son, Jesus, that we have sung in the Psalms even today. Uh, show us how we can learn more. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And the son of I'll give an exhortation from Scripture first before we partake of the bread and the wine. Hebrews 5, verse 11. Hear God's word. Speaking of Christ, uh, we have much to say of him and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to maturity. In his book, The Supper of the Lamb, Robert Capon says that parents should cook for their children what is good for them, what is good quality, not just what they like to eat. Parents know what the good stuff is, after all, better than children do. And the same should be true at church. 
We don't cater the menu to the least mature in how we worship. God is training us up to maturity as his people. So he sets before us on this table bread and wine, that not milk meant for babies, but a mature menu. It takes us a lifetime to plumb the depths of God's word. So let's train our senses, educate ourselves to discern what is good for our souls. There's a simple answer to that that we can all understand. Christ is good for our souls. But that answer takes a lifetime to grow up into maturity in him. Here, to help us grow, we have the word of God, we have the baptismal water, we have bread and wine, gifts of God for the people of God. So we invite you to the Lord's table today. All those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church, uh, come and welcome. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, we're acknowledging together that we are sinners without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God, that we're trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. So come with your children and welcome to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.